Hey, welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week we walk through our experiences of M&A projects where we've been involved and we unpack the good, the bad and the ugly. Our purpose is simply to leave you with valuable lessons that you can use in your M&A projects. And so let's not waste any more time and get this podcast underway. Hey, Toby, how are you? Oh, great, Robert. Hi, how are you going there down in Melbourne? I've got some great news. We're actually lifting restrictions. Zero <laughs> cases for the last two days. We're, we're getting a gradual return to normal now. Restaurants and retail are opening as of tomorrow at midnight. And there's a general sense of great feeling in the atmosphere when you go out you get a sense yeah. something's happening so and, and it's uh, beautiful blue skies outside and sunshine which beats the crap out of sydney right now absolutely it's been pissing with rain hopefully <laughs> soggy good so- melbourne's up sydney for a continual for a rain now last week i went on the comical side and talked about the um, cfo who lost his trousers yeah you're, you're going on the, the more serious front, which we should do today, and we're just going to have a, a free and open conversation around the issues of mergers and acquisitions. So without any particular plan or schedule, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, there is a bit of a theme um, here that I'd like to um, discuss with you, and I'm pretty sure sort of from your own experience, this is a, an important one as well, and that is the notion of driving transformation through mergers and acquisitions. And I, I think part of the reason why I was keen to talk about this topic is that I sense that often, and you, you've probably experienced this just as much as I have, is that we, we've been involved in a lot of m and deals, and it's done in a very sort of somewhat, say, tactical, transactional approach. And sometimes yeah. we, we don't see the long-term goals of what we're trying to achieve. And probably more importantly, making sure it's all set up for long-term success. And I've been reading a lot about the types of deals that have been going on. And I see more and more over the years that deals are, are there not just to get cost efficiencies, not just to grow through scale, but to actually drive revenue, drive sales, more customers, changing the way they work from an operating and a business, mo- and a business model perspective. Yeah. So it's very much about long-term value and not so much about cost savings. I agree 100%. I mean, those M&A deals that you and I call transactional are, are just that. They're only focused on achieving synergies, achieving yeah. benefits, and there's no real long-term strategic picture or vision that can be achieved from the combination of the two companies coming together. Yes, the mechanics are still necessary. You've still mm. got to follow the bouncing ball and go through the process to a degree, mm. but that's secondary. My opinion, there's a couple of things. One, you've got to have this vision of what is it we're going to achieve, and exactly to your points about mm. achieving revenue growth, achieving new market entries, achieving new product lines and services, winning new customers, all of those sort of things need to be part of the vision. Mm, yep. And the reason why you're doing this deal in the first place, at least that's my beginning thoughts. I, I agree with you. And I, and I think that when I reflect over the past 20 years on some of the deals I've worked on, I think that they were, dare I say, somewhat mechanistic in their approach. In other words, they were focused on, well, we must get the integration going and integrate finance, integrate HR, integrate fi- uh, marketing, and so yeah. on and so forth. And that's what M&A is, and that's what integration is all about, getting all the shared services together. 
But that's not what it's all about if you're trying to drive transformational outcomes. And there needs to be a longer term view as to where you want to be in the future. And I think that sometimes, certainly on the deals I've worked on, that hasn't been articulated as well as it could have been. No, I I would agree. And that's going back to that transactional element again. I mean, just a thought that's popped into my head. There was one particular deal, and I would describe it the same way as you did, which was more transactional. We're bolting two companies together. There was a process to do that. And one of the things that changed that was that the board came to us and said, well, we haven't made a decision about how we want to structure the top level leadership in terms of the CFO, the CEO, etc. And did we have any views as to which should be kept and which should be done? Hmm. We, we took that on grudgingly to some extent, because I don't necessarily like getting involved in that choice of, well, which CEO stays and which one goes. But when we did look at it, we actually went back to the board and said, none of them. You actually need to use this opportunity and take some risk and bring in a senior leadership team that actually is more capable of driving the vision of what you want from this business, not just continuing to run the combined operation. Yes, indeed. Indeed, indeed. Um, that, that was a classic example of starting to drive a vision from the leadership downwards. Yep. And the, the board was simply stuck at, do we choose CEO number one or CEO number two? When yeah. we went back and said neither of them, it took them by surprise, but they realized that in order to breathe some life into this acquisition and to really drive the vision that they wanted, they had to change the top leadership. So it's interesting you say that because so often M&A success or failure is effectively about leadership. Failed M&A deal really is a failure in leadership. And even more so if you're trying to drive a transformational outcome from it. And maybe one thing I could actually say, and I think there's probably one liner, and that is that if you are taking a transactional approach to M&A, you will not achieve transformational results. So in other words, doing a very tactical, mechanized, reductionist approach to M&A is not going to achieve the long-term goals you're looking for. Well, look, you might drive some cost reductions. You might drive some synergies from merging the two businesses operationally and so on. But short-term gains, and they're one immediately because you suddenly don't need two of everything. So you've got the economies of scale. But within two quarters, half a year, they're long forgotten about. Indeed. indeed. And, and all, all you've got is a bigger version of what you had before. And, and life then goes on, continues to stumble on the same way with modest growth and so on. It really is a window of opportunity. I think that's a phrase you've used before. Yes. It, it, it brings about true change. Indeed. And maybe maybe we can shift onto that because we just talked about the transactional versus the transformational mindset. I think the other important thing is, again, I'm reflecting here on sort of 20 years of experience, is that M&A really is that window of opportunity. And as so often is the case, I think, when it comes to bringing out change, it's very hard to actually motivate, to excite, to get that kind of cultural unfreezing in an organization. But there's nothing like an M&A deal to actually create that brief moment where things become possible. And it is a window of opportunity. And the goal is grab it while that window is open to bring about change. Yeah. Can I give an example? 
Yeah. I've got one that's just come to mind that I can talk about. Okay. We've been working with a company, I can't name names because they provide services and equipment into defense forces around the world. Yeah. And and that's all they've done for the last God knows how many years. That's it. Their 100% of their focus mm. is on selling into defense. And they've got that right down to the fine art. Right? But they've recently merged, let's say, or let's call it a strategic partnership with another organization, which is part military, part commercial. Right. Right. And that has suddenly opened up a whole new market for all of their current defense force products and services. Right. If you take the Army and the U.S. Navy badge off it, and it can be sold as a commercial product into commercial marketplaces like mining, engineering, etc. And the great thing about this is that bringing the two companies together, the commercial arm of company number two is actually providing the means for go-to-market and the skill and expertise of company number one is providing the innovation and the products and services sure. that can be commercialized. Yep. And that's a, that for me is a great example of seizing the opportunity that you've got in front of you and suddenly opening up a vast range of markets globally that you previously didn't have the expertise or the capability to enter. It's- it's interesting you say that, Rob, because I mean, it is very much about seizing the day. And you either do it or you don't. It takes leadership. It takes courage to, to take that moment and take that time when people are ready and willing to accept that this is a possibility that you might want to do this. And you go ahead and execute it because under normal circumstances or any other time, it may not be possible. Yeah, and that's, that's just made the point you, that we were talking about earlier is that that can be the reason why you bring in new leadership or people within the leadership team to be able to drive that. They bring in a, a, a new energy. They bring in the excitement. They bring in that, that can often be the catalyst that you need. It's horrible to say it, but you often find that the existing leadership in these companies has mm. just become a, a little bit ho-hum flat. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. Know, they've been doing the same thing for the last 10 years. Yeah. And it needs that, that dynamic of risk and innovation. Exactly. To really challenge the boundaries, so to speak. But, but it, it raises another question, though. Again, this is something that I know you've preached, let's say, previously. And it's that principle of, yes, they're great things to do. Yes, you could take those risks. Yes, innovation is a, it's a window of opportunity. It breathes new life into the business. But you cannot afford to make that change too complex. I think your word was use simple rules to drive to drive complex, complex work. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, and this is some something that I've learnt myself over the years. I'm sure you have as well, Rob. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you're dealing with M and A, it is an incredibly exercise. If you you really think about it hard, is there anything more complex in the corporate world? Because you really are changing everything. Yeah. You're changing the way sales works, marketing, branding, and it's all happening at the same time. And, yeah. and the problem is it can get overwhelming. If you really think about it, it can be overwhelming, the number of things. And it's quite easy for people just to retreat into their silence and say, well, I'll try and do what I can, but I don't know how I'm going to cope. And I think the part of the problem is, is that very well having a good strategy and all that sort of thing, but you've got to simplify it and just have some simple 
simple rules to guide the course of work that has to be done. And I've called them principles, codes of conduct, boundary yep. rules, do's and don'ts, just simple things to say, this is what we do. And what it does, it creates the boundaries that we can do things. So in other words, people have got, they've got direction, they've got empowerment, they know what to do because they've been given the boundary rules into which they operate. And I use the term, use simple rules to drive complex work. Yeah, I'm going I'm to use an example. Okay. Because I was talking to someone last week that was actually involved in a carve-out. Uh, and I can mention this was for Nestle. Okay. Nestle were carving out a particular part of their business and there was a buyer for it, mm. right? And literally on a, a Friday, the, the deal was closing and, and everything was being done and signed, sealed and delivered. And with the deal came this massive warehouse full of chilled products. We're talking butter, milk, cream, etc. Yep. right? And by the way, their main customers were major supermarkets and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And so literally overnight, the entire supply chain had to be stood up and operating with the new owner mm. and delivering those chilled shelf life products into the supermarkets. Right. Wow. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's a hugely complex exercise, but the the answer to it was keeping it simple. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. For people that are listening, just think through the complexities that you've got to put in place to make that happen, and that's the skill that people like you and I bring to these deals, yes. but also imagine the simplicity that the following morning, a hundred drivers have got to get into trucks, confidently know where they're going and deliver to supermarkets that are expecting their deliveries yeah. and every, everything else has to happen. So yeah, that was, That's, now, sorry, I was going to jump onto another topic because I've got to admit I'm not a practitioner in this area. I don't have a great deal of experience. One of the things that was active in that deal, the, the guy that I was talking to, was he said that agile ways of working was a, a way that they actually yeah. made that happen. That, that, that's not one of my areas of expertise, but I know it is one that you're passionate about. Yes, indeed. Because I think agile is an incredibly effective way of working. And look, it's very common in software development and in, in product management as well. But I think it also applies in an M&A context too. And I don't literally mean the things you find in agile, as in product backlogs, burn down sprints and scrums. Yes, you do use those, but it's more the leadership and the style and the behavior, which is key. And that is that you bring in accountability and you make the management of work something that's very active. In other words, you do stand-ups and you do daily stand-ups where people stand up and they're accountable for what they might have done yesterday. And it's yeah. a very simple exercise of just making sure that everything is done here and now and we work through steadily in what is a pressure cooker environment because that's what M&A is. It's very, very pressured. Yeah, so very, very it, it's very much about people, bringing people right front and center and making them the focus rather than process itself. It's always bringing people together within huddles, going through all the actions of the day and making sure they're accountable for completing those actions through regular stand-ups. And the idea here is it's a shared accountability, that we're actually, yes, we've got accountability, but we, accountability is made something that's vivid. It's something that's it's there and for people to see. And we bring ourselves to those sessions 
to be accountable for what we've done. And Agile really, as far as I'm concerned, is accountability in action. So that example I've just given then would be a perfect scenario. Exactly. Yeah, it would be. Yes, it, yeah. it is. It's much more about culture, about behaviors than it, and people than it is necessarily about process. Yeah, so by all yeah. means, use your term sprints and scrums, that sort of thing, but recognize it's not the process that really counts. It's those behaviors of being ready to be accountable, to be uh, activists in the way you work, to be ready to stand up and say, I'm doing these things today, and to be accountable for those things that you're going to do. Now, and that's down at the detail level, to yeah. some extent, of, of individual processes and mechanisms and, and, mm. and et cetera, et cetera. If we go back to where we started this conversation, all of that is necessary, but you've still got to keep your eye on the big picture, the value that you're aiming for. And one of, one of the thoughts I've always had is that you need to engineer that. You, you, you need to be clear right up front. I mean, I've, I've always used that jigsaw puzzle analogy. The, 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 the jigsaw puzzle box has got a picture on it, and that's the picture of what the business intends to look like post-deal. Yes, and, and of course, all the pieces inside the box are the moving parts that you've got to try and bring together in the right order in, in order to make that happen. But you cannot lose that vision. It's probably where communication comes in as well. Yeah, A good leadership team will communicate that vision in a way that excites and empowers people. Yes. And, and they will engineer it in such a way that it, 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 it empowers people to look at their operating model. It yep. empowers people to seek out ways of driving value in the business. And it's an all-inclusive process that essentially allows everybody to have a role to play in that process, in, in bringing that value to reality. Indeed, indeed. It's like when I say um, engineer the delivery of value, from my perspective, what I'm talking about is engineering success. So yeah. what, it, what does success look like? What is the end goal? And then taking an operating model perspective, use that as a way of describing how that value can be engineered. Because Value is often a combination of, of people, it's a combination of process and combination of technology. What I'm saying is you can fundamentally map that sort of thing out. And it goes beyond a simple spreadsheeting exercise. It is really a, a very effective way of whiteboarding through the, the deal drivers, the way they work together, and the multiplier effect they have on business performance. But it's something you can indeed map out, you can engineer it, and it goes above and beyond what you can do in a spreadsheet. The one thing that I've always banged my head against is those deals that are driven by spreadsheet <laughs> jockeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Just because column H shows an improvement from 0.5 to yeah. 0.3 or whatever doesn't mean that you're actually achieving value. Value is visible. It's the new products being brought to market. It's the entry to the new markets and territories. It's the, the two sales teams working together and cross-selling and upselling and adding another 30 million onto the revenue stream. Those are things that you can see, you can touch, and you yeah. can celebrate. It's interesting as we're talking, Robbie, because so often we're going back to the same themes of activism and leadership. And those are always the driving forces. And whenever I've worked on a deal where I say that was being incredibly successful, I can always go back to the same old things. It's been working with a great team of people, having a great leader, and having an activist approach to the whole exercise. Activist and agile. And 
they're repeating themes all the time. And to your point, if you find yourself getting overtly bogged down in column action or spreadsheet, you're kind of losing it a bit because that's not the focus. That's just basically a way of coming about with a value. But natural fact, it's something that needs to be animated, engineered. It's, something, it's, it's a creative exercise in terms of how you actually deliver that value and not something that's purely the area of spreadsheets. Again, you, you're pulling on my past experiences and things that are coming to mind. Yeah. And I'll go back to Nestle again. Yeah. I remember being a... Nestle leadership meeting. It wasn't to do with M&A, but I was I was there anyway in, mm. in Singapore. And the CEO at one point got extremely annoyed because people were putting up loads of spreadsheets and reports and stuff like that, <laughs> right? And he slammed his fist on the table and he said, I'm fed up. I'm fed up of people giving me reports on what we've done. I don't want to see where we've been. I want positive images of where we're going what's in front of us and what we're achieving yeah and he, he compared it to trying to steer a super tanker by looking at the wake and you call it activism the word i use is accountability as well yes well of course it's funny you say that because actually activism and accountability go together because accountability from my perspective, it's not something you write in paper, say so-and-so is accountable for that. It's actually vivid. It's something you actually stand up and you take, yep. it's a feeling. It's a, more like a presence of mind. And dare I say almost life-affirming, it's actually getting up there and saying, I'm taking this. There's no blaming. There's no complaining or excuses. You're standing up there and you're making yourself accountable for your own actions and consequences. Yep. Now, that in actual fact takes a certain amount of courage but it's also very life-affirming. Well, it's also it, it also comes back to leadership again. And again, I'm thinking of the, the late Les Heyman, who was my boss in SAP. Yeah. And one of the great values that Les had was that he empowered his leadership team to take accountability. Yeah. He didn't put you in boxes. If you had an idea, you didn't need to go through a, a process of getting approved or anything else. Yeah. You went and did it. Yeah. You yeah. stood accountable for it, but you went and did it. Yeah. What he essentially did very cleverly, when I sort of look back and reflect on it, is he took his job, which was to grow and expand the business, and he handed a lot of his responsibilities down to his management team. Yeah, yeah. And he allowed us to take those responsibilities and, and he saw his job as gently guiding and coaching us. So, yep. And that is going back to your comment about agile. It's the same thing. Good leaders empower people to take a certain amount of measured risk, but to also be proud in holding themselves accountable for an outcome, something that you can touch and see. Yes, that's why you've got to have a purpose. Indeed, indeed. If anybody stops you and says, why are you doing this? You've, you've got to be able to turn around and respond by telling the person that's asked you, this is the purpose that we're driving towards. It is indeed. And it's a funny one, to be honest, Robert, because I've got a confession to make because I, I've been involved in a lot of deals and people can say, well, what 
what the deal is about. They'll often talk about how the deal is going to be managed and all that sort of thing. But sometimes the people are a bit vague about actually why we're doing the deal in the first place. But when I say why, I mean in a deep sense, actually, why are you doing this? Yeah. So, and that comes down to that notion of purpose. So, it, <coughs> it, it, But it's a powerful one because purpose is the most powerful motivation. Because we're to, going back to leadership again. You want to motivate people. And the way to motivate is by focusing on purpose. Explaining the why is the most powerful motivator of all. I, I put it in more basic terms, but I've always said that when you get involved in an M&A deal, the very first question you should ask when you walk in is, what the f- did you do this for? And if you can't get an answer to that yeah. as to why <laughs> the deal's taking place... Why are you doing it, yeah. What? There's a shitload of work involved in this. It's complex. What the hell are you done this for? You, you <laughs> must have had a bloody good vision... That's what you've got to start with. We've been talking for a little while here, Robert, and I, I think this is more like a reflection between the both of us in terms of what it means to actually drive transformational outcomes through M&A. But I thought I might just try and summarize very briefly for the Linda's what we've been talking about. And I, I'll just listen very briefly. The first topic we covered is transformational mindset. Take a transformational yep. view not a transactional view, because a transactional mindset will not deliver transformational results. So that's number one. Number two is make M&A that window of opportunity. So to the point you made earlier on, make that the time where there's a cultural unfreezing to do the things that ordinarily you wouldn't do. So use that time to actually put the actions into place you always wanted to do. So make M&A that window of opportunity. Another one is agile. Agile not as in agile the process, but agile in terms of the behaviors and the attitude and also the leadership. And another thing we, we talked about was accountability. And accountability is something that we take on through our heart and it's something that we actively engaged in so that we take that activist accountability approach. And of course, finally, it's, it's purpose, making sure we can always understand yep. the why of a deal. But the funny thing is, when we say all those things, Robert, it all starts and ends with one single thing, which is leadership. And having that kind of degree of leadership to drive transformation through M&A is, is what we're talking about. And it's the key to success is to make sure you've got that leadership behind the deal to drive it all the way through to long-term success. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes all the way from being able to see the vision, yes, communicate the vision, right? but more importantly, you've now got two businesses that where the people in those businesses have got concerns and worries and aspirations and all sorts of other feelings that are going on. And the power of leadership is to be able to bring those people on the journey with you. Indeed. To to show them the vision, to lead them to a new future. And and I think that that sort of nicely wraps it up is that if if all you're doing in MA is putting together one plus one and and getting an answer that says 1.75 because we've got yeah. cost cost benefits and synergies, then, mm. then you've lost the plot. Essentially, one plus one's got to equal at least three, if not four, Indeed. in terms of the value that you could drive from an M&A engagement. If it's not doing that, then you've really got to examine why you're doing it in the first place. Indeed, indeed. Well, it's been a good chat, certainly, Robert, because it's an interesting topic. Yeah, 
fundamentally about leadership. There are a lot of key principles here that you've got to get right to achieve long-term success. I must admit, I, I find it missing quite often, but sometimes you do find it. And certainly our role is to make sure that that leadership is there. And we're, we're, our job is leaders as well. So we, we lead these things to make sure that success is brought about through the organizations we work with. If all our job comes down to is tightening up the nuts and bolts, then we're a, a, a poorly used resource. I, I, I think our job is to challenge that vision right up front. Yes. And then help steer and drive the creation of the value from that vision and, and deliver it as a, a physical, touchable, seeable outcome. And yeah, I think that's a wrap, Toby. I Good conversation, Rob. Yeah, and we'll, of course, be back next week with another episode of uh, M&A War Stories. That's been good, Toby. I I really enjoyed that. That was uh, a good conversation. conversation. Yeah, Excellent. absolutely. Okay. All right, we'll, we'll wrap up with that and we'll say bye for now. Goodbye.